and welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Ange Pearson. Paul Tanter. And I'm Matt Brooks. Today we're thrilled to be joined by a man whose career spans four decades, creating the weird and wonderful worlds in which film and television magic happens. He has worked alongside British TV legends including Roland Ratt, Ali G, Victoria Wood, French and Saunders, David Tennant, Anton Deck, Harry Hill and Vic and Bob. He's seen pop stars' careers launched on Top of the Pops and worked with the Spice Girls, bringing Spice World the movie to fans around the globe. His vision has brought some of the best TV comedy of the 90s and noughties to life, most notably winning a Royal Television Society Award for Best Production Design on The League of Gentlemen. But our listeners will know him best for his work creating the dark and gross universe Richie and Eddie inhabited in Series 3 of Bottom. Grenville Horner, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be talking Bottom with you today. That's great. That's quite a nice intro. I didn't realise I'd done all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine it racks up over the years indeed. Um, It does, doesn't it, actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very impressive. It's it's great to have you with us. You graduated the Royal College of Art. When when was that? And had you always planned to go into set design? No, not really. I, I sort of just trod that uh, the art college route, you know, foundation course. Then I did three, three years of a BA course in uh, interior design, three-dimensional design. And then a three years master's degree course at the Royal College in environmental design and architecture. So that's wow. seven years at art college. It's pretty good okay. in those days. All on a grant as well. Uh-huh. And what, what then led you to the BBC? What was your initial role there? And, and when did you join? My my work my work at college my architectural work was quite quirky, and we were we, my choose was Norman Foster and it was the sort of modernist architectural movement, and I was sort of more more sort of folksy and quite kitsch in my architecture, and they used to get really riled about it. And a friend of mine went to work for the BBC in the design department one summer, and he said, "Gremly, you love it," and so I just applied for a job there, and I got I got an interview, and I got a six month contract in the design department, which was huge, you know. There are about 100 people working in it, and it did costume design, everything, makeup, the lot, you know. What was your first role there? Where did you sort of start as? In room 400. All the, all the design groups were like, had a senior designer, and then about six designers and about four assistants, mm. and in, in different rooms. And room 400 was quite no, no, notoriously sort of uh, rebellious. So I was put in there and, and worked. The, I think the first thing I ever did was drew up a fence for Jack and Ori or something for design, you know. And this with this is with my Master of Arts degree from the Royal College mm-hmm. of Arts. And you apprentice yourself into this fantastic world. You know, you're a designer, but you've no experience of, of, of set design in television or anything. You know, there were no production courses in production design, you know, and no design courses in anything like that. But you're really thrown in at the deep end then, just... Yeah, and of course, you know, there's eight television studios... There's the film studios, the location work. So you're working continually on a huge variety of things and learning incredibly quickly about the, the making of film and television. I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. Fantastic. About what year was this then that you joined? I started there in 77. So was there a particularly first kind of show or anything that really sticks with you that you worked, worked on? I think my first sort of proper you you were given what they called acting design so you were still an assistant but you were you were made up to designer for certain jobs and I did I looked after a multicolored swap shop and then actually redesigned the new set for swap shop so that's my first sort of big thing really it's quite funny I don't know if you're aware of it but uh, I also had a little a, a pop band at the time called the cutouts and we and we we actually played on swap shop and I designed uh-huh. the set for us 
we, we weren't a real band. It was just a, a mate of mine and me from art college. And uh, we just played guitars and wrote a few songs. We put a little band together. And the producer said, oh, you should, you should come and, and be on Swap Shop. That's who you so, know, isn't it? That's how you get these jobs. <laughs> exactly. And so, and so we were on Swap Shop and we were dreading it, you know, but we did. You, you can see it's on YouTube. And uh, on the Monday morning after, EMI were on the phone and everybody was trying to, because we hadn't got a contract or anything. And we signed to EMI on a two single deal, which is fantastic. We did, we made nothing of it, but it's, you know, because I was just into the design side, really. Nice. And we weren't that good, but it's worth, it's worth watching. Just quite a laugh, actually. The single was called DIY. <laughs> oh, so production themed music Absolutely. as well. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. We didn't get on top of the pops then. No, we got, we, we were managed by a guy called, uh, Alan, I can't remember, Rhyme Enterprises, Alan somebody. And he also managed the tourists, which is Annie Lennox. So we used to rehearse in the same basement. And we actually got offered the first support tour with the tourists. And we were just so scared we couldn't do it. We only knew about four songs, you know. And we, were, we just thought we were quite fake musicians. <laughs> wow, fantastic. It sounds a bit like Voodoo Lady from the League of Gentlemen. <laughs> oh, Voodoo Lady fantastic. <laughs> So for bottom series three, was it Bob Spears, the, the director, who brought you on board uh, was, as a designer or yeah, and had you well, worked with him before? It was Bob who brought me on board. And I think I'd done, I have to check on the dates of this. I think I'd met Bob and gone on to French and Saunders with Bob Spears previous. I think that's the first thing I did with Bob. And that's the first time I met him. And Bob was, he's, you know, he was, I really got on, Bob and I got on really well. But he was quite cantankerous and a lot of people didn't get on with him, but we got on really well and we enjoyed working together. So he, he actually carried me on to quite a few programmes of his, you know, which is nice. We enjoyed you, the relationship, actually. Were, were you sort of his go-to guy then when he was, when, uh, when he was uh, coming to a new production? Yeah, very much, very much. I think I did, uh, I certainly did French and Saunders with him, did the, the bottom, uh, the last show of Fry and Laurie. And in Spice World, Spice and, World. and, and we're involved yeah. in, in other film projects that were ongoing after Spice World, yeah, that, that never materialised. Is it is it markably different working with trained actors or comedians or pop stars? Is it anything different at all? Does that affect your your side of the job? I think there's a difference between you know um, big drama productions and and sitcoms or comedies i think you can get away with much less in in the the world of comedy i think so, you know so the- with with direct um comedy stuff particularly in bottom um do the stars writers creators of the show have any say in the the production designer comes on or is that the the director tells rick and Aid, this is who you're working with it varies. I think I think Rick and Aid just let everybody get on with it. You know, they wrote it and then they, they mm. trusted the people that were making it. Yeah. But I think with with uh, Fry and Laurie, I remember in the days of fax machines, I'd go to the, the rehearsal, the acts and rehearsal rooms where the BBC had rehearsal rooms for the sort of run through of the Fry and Laurie where they'd discuss everything. And and they were quite involved in the look and the design of it. Stephen and Hugh and I've got I had many faxes from uh, Stephen Fry because we used to fax each other at home and stuff about <laughs> thoughts and ideas but of course faxes now are all they just disappeared they just mm. they're like ghost writing you can't you know but there's some very very funny communications been totally superseded now by email hasn't it absolutely an email and that assumption that somebody sends an email it's got to be responded to immediately you know, that's <laughs> rubbish isn't it, really yeah so it occurs to me actually that all of our, some of our listeners may not know exactly what a production designer 
is or does? Would you be able to give a brief overview of... I mean, yeah, very simply, I mean, you're responsible for the whole look of everything, the show, from the sets, from choosing locations, just to the props, every, every single thing you see, apart from costume, is really down to the, the design and the art department. Did you get involved with makeup, things like that? Is that kind of like, if it's like something with Tubbs and Edward, there's some maybe crossover of them? Yeah, there'd be discussions if, if things were, were slightly crossing over, yeah. So to take you back to when you're approaching Bottom Series 3, do you recall receiving the scripts for it when Bob Spears first brought you on board? Were you aware of the show? Was it something Oh, yeah, no, I was watching? aware of it. Very much aware of it. Yeah, I used to watch it, you know. But, yeah. uh, I mean, the great thing about being at Television Centre was also every lunchtime you walk around the studios, so... Mm. You'd see everything going on, you know, you could watch stuff and you could go in and watch rehearsals. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But I don't remember getting the scripts, no. But the the main thing is that it was all studio done. You know, it was, mm. everything was done in the studio. Most sitcoms always had a bit of filming where you went out onto location. But with Rick and Aid and Bottom, I think it's unique. It never went never never went out on location anywhere. I mean, things like Dad's Army, they they go out yeah. and, and all those. But this was all yeah. studio-based, which was quite yeah. unusual because they were writing, you know, we were writing exterior scenes and building sets for that to build. Yeah. Was there a particular reason for that? Was that Rick and Aid wanting it to be that way or was it your... But do you know what? It's only, recent, it's only recently I've thought about it, but that made it quite quite special mm. that it didn't go out. It's your I job think... is to create that world, isn't it? So the sets that yeah. you, were, you were forming for Series 3, obviously in particular, did... Did you get free reign to come up with things like, say, the Ferris wheel episode? Um, Pretty much, yeah. I mean, been a real challenge. The Ferris wheel was quite amazing, and you're obviously aware of Bobby Warren's the uh, set, the prop mm. buyer and, and mm. set decorator, and uh, he'd organised. I said, Bobby, we need to go and look at some big wheels, just get a feel for it, you know. And he organised a, a trip to Blackpool, and uh, and we had control of the big wheel, so we could sit on it and stop, mm. and I could photograph and measure. And so it's based on that. We built a section of that in the studio mm. and it appears on, on the show that it's actually moving when it first starts. But that was just, we did that with just the camera moving. Mm. So it was a static build apart from the, you know, the uh, carriage. Yeah. Yeah. How much of the ca- um, Ferris wheel was actually built then? Do you just, think just we, their section? Obviously probably, you wouldn't. Probably about three chairs worth. Right. An eighth, something like that. Mm. It, was, it, was it, real, it was great having to work it all out. It's a really, it's a really impressive set. You can tell that you guys like researched them, you know, put the time into it because it's, it's very, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, It was good. It was spending that time on a day on the big wheel at Blackpool and and really working it out. And then of course the view, you know, because it's supposed to be in Hammersmith. Hmm. And so I had a a photographer, a really good photographer, take a panoramic shot from the top of the Hmm. East Tower. You know, the East Tower used to be in television centre, just an office block. And we got access to the roof and shot that just at, at, in the evening at night, just as the sun had gone down, quite dark. And then Brilliant. made that into a, a, looked at it on the model. And then we had it painted as a backdrop by a fantastic scenic artist, a guy called Steve Mitchell, who's done a lot of feature films. So it's a huge panorama of the skyline of London. It's brilliant. That's amazing. Was that and- in the script then that they, you know, did Rick and Aid give you any kind of direction or brief on that or was that all from your, no, I think it was, your it was, imagination? It was supposed to be in West London. You know, that's right. it, really. Mm. Yeah. Also in that episode, uh, uh, something that, as a, that we talked about as a great example of uh, production design was God's Hand. Mm. That, uh, that oh, comes in yes. at the last minute. Was the, what was that like to build? That, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great piece of work. That was, I'd forgotten about that until I, re- I watched them again recently, a few months ago. 
And uh, that was, a, again, a, a film sculptor. We just carved it in polystyrene. You just give a simple reference. And that's, that's what they do all the time. It was good. I've forgotten about the, the, the hand. Yeah. Yeah. It was one, a wonderful piece of work. Yeah, and the, and the, the sort of... Uh, the sort of effects on there, the sparks and all that were really good, weren't they, actually? Yeah. All the practical yeah, all, stuff. All and the, I think, all... I think some of it must have been done in front of an audience. Because traditionally, that's the only episode that didn't have the house in it, I think, wasn't mm. it, that house? Yeah. So normally the, the audience would come in, you'd, you'd do a pre-record in the afternoon, and then the audience would come in for the evening. Series three, that's the only one. Um, there's a camping episode bottoms out as well. Uh, there's another one without, without the flat, but yeah. So normally the house, uh-huh. the audience, the audience would come for to see stuff in the house. You know, that's the, the mm. classic set, really. It's a bold decision was... to start on series three because it's the first episode of series three being completely out of the out of the flat. Yeah, and there, I think there was an audience there we, on on that stage. Were you often there for the studio recordings? Yeah, uh, always. You... I'd always be yeah. there. Yeah, just make sure everything's good. You'd sit in the gallery with the, with the, either the director or the lighting director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's, what's that like as an experience to see it happening from the back of the from the gods, as it were? Oh, it's fantastic! It's just you know you're seeing the director giving all the instructions to the cameraman, the vision cutter cutting. It's a fantastic experience, actually. So are you actually show. needed to be there, or are you just like, oh yeah, I need to be here? No, so I, no, no it. it's, it's part of your job to be there. You, you, you adjust things, you keep your eye on everything, make sure everything's all right, nothing's fallen off, or, you know, they've got everything <laughs> they need. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you'd always be there, yeah. You came to Series 3. Um, you weren't the production designer for Series 1 and 2. When no. you came to it, were there designs already existing from the previous... I uh, think the house, either the drawings for the, for the house they lived in would have been yeah. kept, or the set might have been kept... I can't remember. I can't From remember. our investigation, the- we think uh, the set was ta- was lost or demolished and it was rebuilt for Series 3. Probably, or- yeah. They probably scrapped it, not knowing that there was going to be a Series 3, maybe, mm. and then went with the Series 3. So the drawings would come out and I'd, you know, just reissue the drawings to the workshop, really. And yeah. I guess the big difference would be the paint finishes, you know. I think the pub set may have been the same because it looked... I mean, if it wasn't the same, it, then it was... A damn good, yeah. a damn good job. Um, they were I suppose, sets, weren't they? Really? Yeah, pu- yeah, I suppose pu- pub sets would be more likely to be kept by the BBC as they could be reused in other things, wouldn't they? I, I they would tended not to not to do that particularly. No? Okay, no, no. they'd have they'd have a stock, you know, windows and doors and things that you could assemble, but they wouldn't use an, another set. Yeah. In, a, in a different show. No. And Series 3 had some very impressive props as well. There are things that come to mind, such as um, Eddie's uh, printing press, when he's forging money. That's become quite, uh, yeah. quite well known, along with, uh, along with his fake banknotes as well, his triangular yeah. banknotes and things. Yeah. W- w- uh, w- were they your design? I think they probably were a combination between myself and Bobby Warren's. And yeah. I can't yeah. remember now. I remember that machine, obviously. Yeah. But the thing that I think may, people mainly remember from Series 3 as a prop is Richie's cattle prod from the Halloween episode. Oh, uh, yes. Where yeah. they go trick-or-treating. Yeah. Was, uh, again, was that something that you had a hand in the design of? I think that's we'd have bought some in and we'd have had one modelled and made up and then it would have gone to Peter Ragg at uh, SFX and they would, you know, get it all working. Yeah. So yeah. it was specially made for the show then using... It probably would have been, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you talked earlier about um, the the street sets that that, uh, that were used. So, uh, as you said, often other sitcoms, if they had exterior scenes that were required, they would actually go out and do a location shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
which which often actually would have a different look as uh, there was that sort of Monty Python sketch about this whole house is surrounded by film and you could often see a sort of slight difference, which I think g- gave bottom a consistency shooting it in a studio. It meant everything I was... I think you're right, yeah, it yeah. did. And it, um, had, it brought that sort of slight surreal quality to it even more, didn't it? That was the thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, we wonder, obviously, because there were such impressive uh, street sets, such as when they go trick-or-treating, they visit Chief Mangasuta Buta Lazy Cul-de-Sac, and they also do a ram raid through an off-license window in a car. Yeah. Do you know if there was, a, had the BBC allowed more budget for the third series at all, you know, that allowed for these things to happen? I don't know. There didn't seem to be much restriction on the budget from, from my memory of it, you know. Nobody was ever thought of what kind of budget you were working with. I, I, can't, I can't remember. It was a weird thing. You used to work in the BBC design department, and in it was called man. It was man hours. So construction was costed in man hours. So you might get a yeah. thousand man hours for the show. Right. You know. So it wasn't a budget broken it wasn't down. A huge budget, no. Restricted. No. Um, so you never had your vision kind of con- constricted by what budget you were working with. No. no. Okay. Actually, we did. We built some pretty big sets, didn't we? I just remember the Hotel Splendide. Yeah. Well, yeah. The Marveluso Splendido Hotello. It does look fantastic. Was that based on any pre existing things, no. or it's just. Just based on my love of, of kitsch hotels. Really. Yeah, it's, it's quite well observed where it's like, oh, this looks nice. And then it, there's, there's tacky elements in there as well and stuff. Yeah. And what if you like, what? What tacky? I, I worked really hard on that. How dare you? <laughs> it all tacky. I mean, fantastic. The bedrooms alone, just wonderful to be able to do work like that. You know, you can't in real, in a real world, you can't do that, can you? Why would you? you know? But the staircase that they come down and everything, you know, it, it, it really does feel like you are in a budget, you know, like kind of yeah. Baby Glory Hotel, kind of three star kind of thing in Blackpool or, you know, yeah. anywhere like, you know, Western Superman, like, you know, Richie and Eddie, they really do live in a in a dark universe, don't they? That, as you say, the, the set design really brings that to life. Um, yeah. Did, did you, you had, is, is that yeah. one of your favourite kind of, you know, was Bottom one of your favourite shows to work on in that way? I think because I sort of inherited Bottom, I hadn't created it. Mm. For me, the fun was, you know, building these streets where the car crashes in the window and the off-licence, the hotel, the uh, the big wheel, the Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, the, the dull thing was just getting the, their house back together. You know, I didn't, that, that was somebody else who designed that. I was just, I was just, you know, caretaking it and looking after it and getting it in there. But so the fun for me on all these shows were, were the other sets really bottom obviously went on to do uh, live tours and a film as well guest house paradiso was that something that you were ever potentially going to be involved with uh, no or, not, uh, not specifically no because you've done quite a few british films haven't you with but with ed by and bob spears and other directors yeah 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 all those it's, sort of english yeah, yeah. Sort of low budget comedies yeah 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 uh, yeah, Black Ball, Spice World, obviously, but um, Fat Slags was one that we saw on there. Fat that's... Slags, yes. <laughs> Do you have a preference when it comes to the format that you're working in, you know, film versus studio based? That sort no, of. No, I think I think these days, unless you're on the massive Hollywood features, you know, the, the range of stuff's pretty similar. Actually, you know, those the things like Fat Slags. I mean, the opening in the street in Shit Street, just creating that in a street in Luton and dressing it. I just looked at that the other. Day and I thought, oh, my, how did we do it? You know, because <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, it'd be a lot of CG work, and you know, yeah, yeah, we well, physically did all these things. A lot of the things that uh, that you guys did practically in bottom that you you know that that, that you designed and, and uh, 
Peter Rag and Bob Warren's all worked on now due to budget and time and and in some t- in some cases to health and safety and things they would actually the, many of the things would be done with a computer yeah. in post no, absolutely. Doing, totally. yeah. yeah it's nice for an audience isn't it when they're there in the studio to see these things happening live I think it gives um, yeah. it you know, it, it gives the reaction a bit more of a, a bit more of a kick, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. We had, you know, everybody had a lot of fun doing all these things. I think the fun's maybe slightly gone out of it now. It's much more of a serious business, you know. Oh, a shame to hear. Um, are there any instances you can remember of Rick and Aid or any of the other bottom characters smashing up one of your elaborately built props that you're like, no, what have you done? No, I didn't. I think, you know, I've got no memory of that. I'm sure it happened, but you know. So the things that you designed um, purposely to smash breakaway things, like the, what comes to mind with that uh, is the joke of the young ones when it, that doesn't happen when the when Rick gets hit with a chair that no, when someone smashes up a chair that was made of bolster wood that was meant to fall apart, and then when Rick gets hit, so it's a, quite a meta joke. But yeah, it was there like oh, for memory? Yeah, the fridge. With a fridge falling on his head, is that uh, a yeah. lighter fridge or is yeah, it just a pulley system? Probably, again, we'd have that carved in polystyrene. Brilliant. It doesn't yeah. look like a polystyrene fridge. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And plus with sound effects and everything, you just that's, that's how you do it, you know. Is that the greatest compliment that someone can pay a production designer when they go, oh, God, I had no idea it was fake. I really thought that was real. Yes, yeah, sort of. I, a, a huge example of that is I did the first series of uh, episodes, which is all set in L.A., and we shot it all in Surrey. Yes. It's one of the studios, isn't it? And there was, was a thing, there was a thing in the uh, Guardian saying, oh, it was just a, you know, a jolly for the BBC to take a crew to L.A. Yeah. We never went to L.A. We went to <laughs> L.A. in a recce. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. Was, you know, was that shot? That was shot in Wimbledon Studios, wasn't it? No, it, it was shot. Uh, we were shot out at Long Cross, you know. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah. oh, we were placed would... there and it's all oh, shot okay. in Surrey, you know. Well, it's convincing because you wouldn't know. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and I think eventually um, they moved to yeah they moved to Wimbledon. I think eventually. It is amazing what you can create because you did Harry Hill the movie, and the intro is actually filmed all around where where I live in Kingston. I just love the idea of because uh, it was written when the, the Harry Hill movie. It was all sort of set by the seaside, but then it didn't seem to make sense that they lived at the seaside to go to the seaside. Yeah, and I'd always wondered if we could do something with this Tudor world and it just Harry just seemed to fit in that world really and we coloured all the houses and yeah, that's yeah. a great world you know it's amazing what you can do with with um you know because the camera the the colouring must have happened in post right yeah well, except <laughs> on, on Nan's house which we did we did paint, did paint. Oh, okay. for real yeah yeah all the shows you've done and there's a lot are there any that stand out as the most challenging or the most rewarding I was watching I was re-watching some of the League of Gentlemen the other day and I was thinking how well, what a great job Tubbs and Edwards, you did on Tubbs and Edwards' shop, for example. That must have been a lot of fun. But also working, for example, on that show must be challenging when the creators are so into their horror and that kind of thing. You know, they, they, uh, it must be rewarding, but also challenging in that regard. Yeah, I think we all grew together, you know, on that show. And I think it just got more and more and more and more, which was, that's a really lovely journey, actually, to be on, you know, to, to start at the very beginning. And, you know, just finding... Royston Vasey, you know, there's me, Steve, Jeremy, Mark, just driving around in a sort of, you know, minibus in around these sort of Lancashire towns and, you know, trying to find a place. So it was a real build-up of uh, everybody's ideas, really. But I had well, quite a free hand, you know. I, I, 
strong ideas that they just really went with, especially the local, the local you shop. Were that, you were on that trip to Glossop then, where they went looking for the... the yeah, I was in the, yeah, we found, we just drove into, uh, what's it, had, what's the, had, had Hadfield. Yeah, Hadfield, yeah. We drove in at the top and thought, oh my God, this is it, look, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I've been there. It's it's an excellent, <laughs> excellent location. It's fantastic, like, it really, isn't it? And the, the really statue at the top of the road and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we looked at an awful lot of uh, small towns. Yeah, but that I was mean, the peak. Yeah. yeah, the Peak District all around there is really, really beautiful. It was just but, beautiful so. being up there. We used to rent an old sort of farmhouse just about ten miles away, and you know, spend eight fantastic weeks there. And the league would they come around for dinner and stuff. It's just good times. Yeah, good times. Yeah. I'd like to ask you about another legend of television that you've worked with. What is Roland Rat like to work with? <laughs> He's pretty tricky, actually. <laughs> yeah. Was that a fun thing to work on? Or, it was, or, actually. Uh... It was David, what was his name? David, who's the puppeteer, who is Roland Rat, yeah. yeah. and his assistants. And they're really, really lovely. But we were building massive sets for this glove puppet. You know, it was fantastic. <laughs> It was just bonkers, really, you know. Yeah. In terms of the work of, of Rick and Aid, is there anything else that they've done? You know, it could be before or uh, before Bottom or After Bottom that particularly impressed you that you'd watch that both as a comedy fan, but also as a production designer and enjoy it? I'm sort of, you know, I, I sort of did, did watch. What was the, the one where Rick was uh, played played a minister, didn't he? The New Statesman. That I thought was pretty good, enjoyable. And Aid, I can't, Aid, not specifically, I can't really... Well, he hasn't done much, has he, outside of... He sort of went into the sort of chat side of things, didn't he? And yeah, I think... Fair, I... He's done a fair bit. Certainly in recent years, he's been um, quite prolific, hasn't he? He's done War and Peace and... Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, MasterChef. Uh, not so much comedy anymore, though. You're right. So a, yeah. a little bit of a step away. Yeah. Are there any instances of you and the crew, but, well, Rick and Aid, going out for, for a big old piss-up, for a job well done... There probably was, but I don't remember. I can't remember. They they, they were pretty, kept themselves sort of, you know, pretty contained, actually. They were very hardworking, we've heard, you know, they yeah. were in, in the zone of working. Do you have any particular memories of working with them on set then? Any... Not specifically. I just, you know, they just get on with it. Any pushback from them for anything that you would bring them like that? This cat prod needs to have more wires, for example, at any time they no, weren't happy. No. That would probably go through the uh, assistant stage manager who's, you know, sure. responsible for the props on set and stuff like that. So once you get delivered the sets and you get them there and, you know, they were always very happy, actually. You know, we're very complimentary. So they were quite easy going then? To yeah, they were, actually. Yeah, it's good to was it a sort of sense of, like, the, the bus is almost driving itself? Is that an expression? Being series free and they're like, yeah, we know what the sets are going to be like now, yeah, even though you are probably. redoing them. I, there was never any sort of huge pressures from anybody. It was all it was all quite chilled, actually, doing it. Occasionally, there was talk of a fourth series happening. Were you ever in, involved in any potential discussions for no, that? No, I don't. I don't remember that. I don't remember any talk about a fourth series. But I mean, it wouldn't have particularly involved me anyway. It would have been, you know, directors and, and John Plowman, I guess. You know, mm. and head of the channel, I guess. And the, obviously, we're all big fans of Bottom. We're in the 30th year since it first aired now. I mean, is there any particular reason you think that the show's popularity endures in the way that it does for Bottom particularly? I didn't realise it did. 
<laughs> really? You're, you're the people in the know about that. Okay, because there is a huge, huge fan base still, you know, on online. I think maybe social media has helped it, you know, because fans can meet each other and talk about the show. But yeah, there's a huge affection for Bottom in particular. I wonder why that, why is that? For us. There's nothing else like it, I think. Yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah. It's the perfect marrying of almost cartoon-like violence with a sort of existential angst that I think a lot of people in their 20s and 30s recognise. Anyone who's, once you sort of leave home and you've got yeah. a crappy low-paid job and you're living on, you know, takeaways and beer, it's the nearest thing you can get to a live-action cartoon that sort of it builds. Is, builds it, actually? Yeah. And that, it spoke that to us as children, didn't it? You know, we, yeah. We were all and how did that compare with the young ones, though? Wasn't that a similar thing? It is similar, for sure. But uh, I think as, when I was a kid... I like bottom because of all oh, this anarchic swearing and violence and stuff. And then my mum told me about the young ones. Oh, you probably like this mm. as well. And as a kid, blew me away. But yeah. as I've gotten older, my affection for the young ones has, I guess, remained the same. But bottom has increased more and more as I've understood it more. It's been able to emphasise more. I, I just think characters that are in the scum and in the dirt, the underdogs are always the best. And oh yeah. That's them. There's so much they are. Yet, uh, you know, the Richie and Eddie hadn't they by the time they got to bottom. Whereas Rick and Vivian are a similar dynamic, but um, Richie and Eddie have got, I think, you know, as we've touched upon, the kind of heart to them as well, and the dark, you know, you know, universe yeah. that they're in. Um, so well, the yeah. young ones, the young ones was before bottom, wasn't it? That's right. Yes. It was. Yeah. Years the before. 80s. Yeah. Yeah. The young no. ones was very was very much sort of of the eighties, but and I. As someone who grew up watching and loving Bottom, I kind of feel like, I might be biased, but I feel like Bottom has aged better than the young ones. That's not to say the young ones isn't fantastic, but mm -hmm. when you look at the young ones, it's, it feels very 80s. Whereas when you look at Bottom, it could be, it could be set now, even though the show's 30 years old, mm. yeah. which is quite a compliment to it. You know. Almost timeless, you know, because um, mm. it's quite cartoonish and the sets, you know, they, they could be anywhere in many ways, you know. So. I've still got the QPR t-shirt that was dressed on the set, actually. Oh, cool. brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Is that your only souvenir or did you um, did you manage to get anything else? I think that's all I've got, yeah. And I'm a big yeah. QPR fan anyway, so it's great. I could go out and spend all this money in the shop, you know. <laughs> that that so must what, have been, that must have been a wonderful gift then when you were dressing Eddie's bedroom. That was fantastic, yeah. yeah. Was, um, was it actually signed by QPR players or is it by no. you no. lot? No. Or the production staff? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you kept any other memorable props from other shows you've worked on, like the League of Gentlemen, or any? I've got the yeah, I've got like the one of the original snowstorms that I made before they manufactured them. The things like things. that. Mm -hmm. I've got, but it's all my sketches and drawings. You know, I've, yeah. I've got lovely things that one day I must do something with. You know, I think Angela, as a huge Anton Deck fan, might be hoping that you've got tucked away somewhere the alien from oh, alien yeah. autopsy i was going to ask you about alien autopsy it's uh it, it, incredible the the alien um that you did you have a hand in creating that complete you know was that well, your that, that had already been made oh. because it was a true story so john humphreys who was the sculptor and part of the original trio who did the hoax yeah he, he that's the that's the oh, that was the actual, that, oh. the actual so he remade it for the Fantastic. film of all of the, so I mean, that was one of the British films that you've done. And as we said, you know, you've done quite a few, such as Spice World and Black Ball and um, Fat Slags, Harry Hill. Of all the ones you've done, which one stands out for you as, as the one you're fondest of? I sort of, a Spice World was great just because of that album was out and it 
every everybody's playing that. It's, that's yeah. big, big time, you know. For, I think Harry Hill in its look. I think the look of Harry Hill. I think all my films look look good, but I think the Harry Hill is really complex. Yeah. Some of the stunts and the effects on it, all physical, really complicated things yeah. to do. But it looks fabulous, you know. Mm. Yeah, it certainly does. And mm -hmm. of all of all the sitcoms you've done, of all the studio based sitcoms, which one are you most proud of? I think it'd have to be League of Gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, to create that world from from nothing and to mm. assemble this and to carry on with doing that, I thought it was just wonderful, wonderful. Actually. Yeah. Well, I, the live show as well, didn't you, at Drury Lane? I did the live show, which toured, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that have a particularly different challenge, obviously being on stage as opposed to being... Um, yeah, and all the changes. I just, I just think you yeah. took the themes of each world and mm. tried to conjure that up very simply for the audience really and it, it worked quite well actually so it started cool. off as a stage show uh was in a fringe uh yeah, the, 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 the stuff. yeah i mean the, this mm. this is you know the, the stage show that, that they first toured with i did the set it was quite a big big deal yeah so it's like going back to the drawing board but now with the TV show behind you, and it's yeah. a mishmash of both. You know, I it's it was yeah. real, really clever that they had the first half with them in their old school, yeah, you know, the... suits with just literally minimal um, hints of the characters, and then you went all out for the for the second half. Yeah. Actually, yeah. really, really amazing. And what's the proudest moment in your career as a whole? Can you no, pick one? I don't think I've got one. <laughs> what about your award? You've won a couple of awards, haven't you? You've won the Royal Television Society. Award. Yeah, I've got a few BAFTA nominations, got an Emmy. That's all in a day's work then, you're not particularly... It's all in a day's work, yeah. yeah. It's really. What's, <laughs> What's really... It's amazing that I've been able to spend my life doing something I totally love and I'm still learning and I get paid for it. What more can you ask? You know, it's like, it's fantastic. It's a good attitude to have. It's much better than Ricky Gervais putting all these bloody walls <laughs> behind him and humble bragging, ironically, non-ironically, every chance he, that he gets. Grenville, is there anything on at the moment that, you, that, that you're particularly enjoying, but both as a perspective of just a viewer, but also you watch that and go, the production design on that is fantastic. I, I don't watch a lot of television, actually, hmm. but during uh, lockdown, I caught up on quite a few things, which is quite nice. Watch things like The Queen's Gambit, which I thought was fabulous, actually. I'd love to have designed The Queen's Gambit. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, things like The Serpent, caught up with The Crown. I'd never watched The Crown. I thought that was really good, actually. And is there anything that you're working on at the moment that we can be looking forward to? I've just got a script and that I'm looking at and it's, do I want to meet on it on Monday? And I'm thinking, not really. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Can, can, uh, can, can you give us a coded message of what it could possibly be? Yeah. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's, oh. uh, it's a, an adaptation of Great Expectations yet again. Oh, okay. okay. Is that a BBC thing? It's BBC, but it's, it's Ridley Scott's company and Tom Hardy. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know it'll be a success then. But uh, oh, of course. But, yeah, yeah. but you're right. I mean, how many more versions of it do do we need? Yeah. yeah. I, assume, should, I, uh, I think it might be quite good. I'm looking forward to it. Script's good. Yeah, it's very good. I see. It's, I assume... it's written by. Oh, I can't remember his name. Who wrote uh, Peaky Blinders? So, have you got the luxury of only choosing what you absolutely, really, you know, jumps off the page to you? Now, I've always done that. It's always been on. Do I love this script? That's why the quality of work's so good. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us here today. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you. We nice. appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank pleasure. you, Grenville. Brilliant. Well, Meet you all. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye.